0: Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, there should be a seatbelt somewhere on your chair. Buckle up, people. We're going in. Old Testament. Here we go. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Keith, and it truly is a privilege to uh, serve here on the Dream Team. And as you're seated, if you are joining us for one of the first times, you have a smartphone, you can scan that QR code if you'd like. It'll just enable us to connect with you a little bit more throughout the week, and we also have a gift we want to give you. So please stop by our welcome home area in the back. We'd love to connect with you there. Well, we are starting what is uh, the longest series that we've ever done here at Blaze Church so a little bit of history here, even of the church, uh, this, this church itself uh, has been established since the 60s, and we have a building uh, over in Flanders about a mile from here, and we've been meeting here for a little over a year, and I've had the privilege to pastor for six years now, and I was thinking in six years' time, we've done a six-week series, we even did an eight-week series, but we have yet to do ten weeks. And so welcome to a 10-week series. Hopefully no one gets bored halfway through because we are not stopping. We will cover all of them. And throughout this series, uh, you and I will have the privilege to hear from different voices on our preaching team, Josh, Joe, and uh, my wife, Amy. So uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. But maybe you're asking the question, like even we were asking as a team when we were starting to think through this series, why the Ten Commandments? And why specifically the Old Testament. And maybe if you're new to church when I say that, Scripture itself, the Bible, is 66 different books divided into two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament really focuses on the people of Israel, like that specific people group, and the promise God made to one man named Abraham that through him the whole world would be blessed the people of Israel, they experienced God's blessing. They also experienced times of judgment when they walked away from God. And they were waiting for this Messiah, this anointed one to return. And that's really what the New Testament then focuses on, that God himself sent his son Jesus to this world so that he might fulfill everything, like just bring the kingdom of God here and and create for us salvation through his own death on the cross and make us new, which we join in the resurrection as we sang, because Christ rose from the dead. So with all of that, maybe there's something in us, this side of the cross, that might wonder why the Old Testament? I mean, anyone here ever try to read the Old Testament before? And it's just like, it's great for sleep. I mean, (laughs) Leviticus will knock you right out if you're an insomniac, I promise you. So it's like, well, what are we going to gain from this? Like, didn't Jesus already take care of all of this? Why look back and not live out like the New Testament? And I want to share with you kind of a verse that will set the tone for why we're investing 10 weeks into the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. These are actually the words of Jesus. And maybe as, if you're a Christian, you've heard this, you've said it, but I want us to really understand what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says in one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this about the law and about the prophets and really the Old Testament. He says, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to, what is the word there? Abolish the law. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. And that would be a first century Jewish way of saying what we now call the Old Testament. They would call it the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. And Jesus himself is saying in this statement, I have not come to get rid of everything that preceded my coming. I haven't come to say, oh, that was was for then, but now here I am. He is saying I've come to fulfill them. Now, often when I've heard that word fulfill, in my mind, I'll use a definition of done away with. (laughs) But I think that's why Jesus is so specific to say, no, I didn't do away with it. I fulfilled it. And Jesus's fulfillment of the law is not the abolishment of it. But rather, when Jesus says he fulfills it, here's a good twofold definition. One, he perfectly kept it on our behalf. Who's thankful for that this morning? That Jesus looks at the law and the standard that God gives humanity and he fulfills it. He perfectly keeps it. Because you and I could never perfectly keep the law of God. But at the same time, and if you read the rest of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus himself will show you by fulfilling the law, he simply transforms it for his followers today. And if you read what Jesus does in the transformation process of the law, Part of you may wish that he actually didn't do it (laughs) because Jesus takes one of the commands that we'll hear of in a few weeks, don't murder. And he says, don't get angry now. It's a little bit harder. Don't, Don't commit adultery. Well, now don't have lust in your heart. So what is Jesus doing? He's transforming the law for us. Kevin DeYoung says in his book, a good word to use instead of transformation might be transposing it. So if you're familiar with music, if you were to transpose a piece of music, the melody would stay the same, but you might change the key. You might change the way the song's arranged, but you're retaining the essence of the song. And that's what Jesus does with the law. And so for us, we are going to look at the Ten Commandments because maybe you know something of them. Who here, you can raise your hand, have heard of the Ten Commandments before? Go ahead, raise them. A lot of hands are going up. Okay, let me ask the same question, a different question here. Who can name all 10? I'm not going to put you on the spot, but who feels confident to say, I know all 10? A few hands, much less than before. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm attempting to memorize them once again. Uh, I felt like I knew them when I was a kid in Sunday school, and they've kind of vanished from my memory bank. And so all of us over the next 10 weeks, we are going to memorize the 10 commandments together. And here's why, if you know any of them. Do not murder, do not steal, Do not lie. Uh, honor the Lord's name. We're going to go through these. But just in your limited knowledge, could you imagine if everyone in your world kept the Ten Commandments? You would never have to lock your doors again, everybody. You wouldn't have to think, did I lock my doors when you left the house? Because there's no stealing. You, you have nothing to worry about. In fact, we'd probably have to do it with copyright law. Don't need that anymore. Don't need patent pending laws. I mean, Shark Tank, they wouldn't have to ask the question anymore. Do you have a copyright on it? Do you have a patent on it? Like, it doesn't matter. No one can take it. Uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't need a court system. Nothing wrong's going to happen. We wouldn't need prisons. Uh, we would all be operating from a place of rest because we'd be honoring the Lord's day, one day of no work. I mean, as you hear about that and think about that, there's something in us that says, ah, that would be great if we all lived by these commands, these standards. And I believe that's our father saying, yes, it would be great. That's why I gave them to you. Too often we'll look at rules and we may think that rules are restrictive and stop us from freedom. And yet it is within the confines of standards and rules that we are most free. You ever heard the the analogy of the fish that just wanted to live on the beach because it'd be a whole lot more free than living in this confined ocean? Maybe go get a sandwich once in a while. You step out of that ocean, you're dead, buddy. Like, it may feel like it's restricting because all you get is the fishbowl or the ocean, but really within those confines is where you most live. And so as we look at God's standards for our life, we're gonna see God is showing us the best way to live. So real specifically, here's the 10 commandments. Here's how we sum them up throughout this series, why they matter. The 10 commandments reveal the heart of God and reflect the Christian life. We were talking as a team this week, how can we just have one sticky statement that would carry us through why we are exploring the Ten Commandments for these weeks? And here's why. Twofold, it reveals the heart of God and it reflects the Christian life. Those words are specific. As we look at the Ten Commandments, we are going to see the heart of God, or say it this way, the character of God and the desire that God has as he reveals himself through these commands. And if you're a follower of Christ today, the commandments will act as a mirror if you'll let them to reflect to you and I the way that we get to live because of Jesus, a totally different way. So we are going to jump into these and You saw it on the screen, and we have a sign in the back. We believe that everyone's first step in a spiritual journey is to know God. And I would say if you don't know God today, the Ten Commandments are a great way to get to know him, to really get to know the heart of God. So these commands are found in Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're going to spend a lot of our time throughout this series. But I have a question for everybody. Before Exodus chapter 20, we would have Exodus chapter... Brilliant. Not a trick question. Give yourself a round of applause. 19, good job. 19 comes before 20. Before Exodus 20, we have Exodus chapter 19. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to set the tone as to why we have Exodus 20 or why we have the Ten Commandments. And it's very important for us to understand an order that comes in Scripture. Beyond Scripture, an order that came in the life of Israel and an order that comes in our lives today. So if you're taking notes, very specifically, you should write before 20 comes 19. That's a big point for today's message. So what takes place then in 19 and even preceding that? Well, the the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. They, They were captive there. They were prisoner there. And God heard their cries, we read at the beginning of Exodus, and he sent his servant Moses to go so that they might be freed from their Egyptian slavery. And if you're familiar with any of the texts or you've seen the Ten Commandments movie or the Prince of Egypt or you've read some book before, you might have some working knowledge or visual. The people of Israel leave Egypt. We're going to talk a little bit about it. And then they're led through the Red Sea, this beautiful display of God's power. And then they come to camp at Mount Sinai. You know where Mount Sinai is, right next to Miller Place, right? (laughs) Thank you for pitying me with that joke. I I told Amy, I was like, I'm real excited about my geography Long Island joke today. (laughs) I'm very excited. So they're in the wilderness in front of Mount Sinai, and here's now what we read in Exodus 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, that's the brief history I just gave you, On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. Verse 2, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So think of this moment. Because for hundreds of years, the people of Israel have been in bondage. They've been in slavery. And now they have seen the display of God's power They've been led through the Red Sea and now they are camping here in the desert in front of this great mountain. We can't move too fast past the joy that must be in their heart. They're free. They haven't known freedom. They've only known restriction. They've only known do's and do nots. And now they're free. Scholars estimate there's millions of people in this moment camped in front of this mountain. And we read in verse three, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Here's God's first words to his freed people. The people that he himself has freed. Here's what he's going to say first to them. And this is where I say lean in because the order matters. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did. God speaking. You've seen what I did. How I carried you on eagle's wings. A metaphor of just bringing you out. And I brought you to myself. Verse 4. God's saying, you've seen what I've done. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. How beautiful is that? God's saying, I I, I created everything. There's so many groups of people here. You will be mine. Verse 6. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. These are the words. So, there's an important order. The order matters. Say that with me. The order matters. I want that to be sealed in your heart today. As we get ready to explore the Ten Commandments the standard that God gives his people, we have to realize that the order in which he gives them matters. And in those three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, we just discovered the order by which God gave the people the commands. And I want to give them to you in three words. Here's what we saw. Redemption, requirement, reward. Redemption, requirement, and reward. Now, all together, let's say it. Redemption, requirement, and reward. That's the order, and the order matters. And today, more than probably any other Sunday, I am going to sound like a broken record by repeating the order matters. Because if we don't understand how much the order matters and how God relates to people, we are going to leave here feeling crushed. In fact, I heard Pastor Tim Keller say this, that without Exodus 19, Exodus 20 would crush us. If there was no 19, if there was just 20, if there was just the requirement, we would all be crushed. And you know that's true in your life if you've ever tried to meet a standard in order to gain God's love and approval in your life. And you've had this internal wrestling match of, am I good enough? Does God approve of me? Does God really love me? Am I saved and you try to measure up through a standard, but the order matters. And the first is redemption. What did God say first in verse 4? He says, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Who did the work? He did. Could you imagine if God called Moses to go to the people of Israel in Egypt and said, guys, I've heard from the Lord. If you will do all of this, if you will keep the commands, if you, will, if you will maintain the sacrificial system, if you will put in the work, God will rescue you. But so many of us, that's exactly how we think that our relationship with God gets started. Moses didn't go to the people of Israel and say, you need to, you need to start doing and then you'll be saved. He said, God has heard your cry, and he's going to redeem you. And God's power was on display. That's how he carried them on eagle's wings, through the ten plagues, which were really ten tests for Pharaoh and the people of Egypt and Israel. Will you trust the God at work? There's just so much beauty in that moment, because every one of the plagues relates to one of the Egyptian gods. And God is just showing his strength and his power on display in that moment to Egypt and Israel, saying, look at my power. Look at what I'm able to do. And ultimately, the people of Israel are freed when the last plague comes and a Passover lamb is sacrificed. And the angel of death visits that land and passes over every home where there is blood shed. And the people are redeemed. They're brought out. And now once they've been brought out, the order matters. Verse 5 says, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. So don't mix up the order. There is redemption through the power of God, through the blood of the Passover lamb. And now because I've redeemed you or because you're mine, now here is how you are to live. See, every single one of us, you you have for yourself, family values. You have a standard in your home that you hold to. That's what's created because it's your home. And if I come into your home, I'll do my best to operate under your values. So I may ask a question, shoes on or off? Just, just want to know, what is it? I'm just learning the family values here. And if I'm really close in your family, if, I, if I've almost been adopted in, I'll already know them. Keeping my shoes on, I'm going right into the fridge. I know where the drinks are. Like that's when you know you're close with someone, when you can just go in their fridge There's nothing more sacred than just going in someone's fridge. Like, I'm just going in. Because you know the family values. And what God is doing for his people, he's saying, I I brought you to myself. Now you're going to live under my command. You're going to obey me. And then there's reward. Here's what he tells them. You will be my treasured possession. Beautiful words. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right, the, the verse in entirety said, out of all the people on the earth, I, I know it all, I own it all, but you will be mine. Redemption, requirement, and reward. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, here's the beauty. The movement of grace has not changed at all under the new covenant established by Jesus. It is still redemption, requirement, reward. I, I want to show it to you through the words of an apostle. His name is Peter. And I want you to see how so much of the words that he writes in the first century mirror the words that were given to the people of Israel by God on Mount Sinai. Here's, here's what Peter writes in regards to our movement of grace, redemption, requirement, reward. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were, what's the word, redeemed. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Come on, the people of Israel had a Passover lamb whose blood was put over their doorposts so the angel might pass over and they might be redeemed. And they honored that year after year with the Passover meal. And now this side of the cross, Peter says, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Who's thankful this morning that Jesus shed his blood once and for all on the cross, like so that we might be redeemed? I am, because my job would be a whole lot messier if not. Do you imagine if you all had to bring in your lamb this morning and I had to slaughter it as part of the service? Don't sign me up for that. I mean, I am grateful Jesus died once and for all. He atoned for our sins. Redemption. Here's where, as Christ followers, we might just stop the process. Awesome, I'm saved. Saved by the blood of the lamb. On my way to heaven. Living like hell right now, with no standard. After all, God loves me, God forgives me, God understands. Okay, Peter goes on, and now you've purified yourselves. Look at this word by obeying the truth. So that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Obeying. The truth. Obedience to God's word is evidence that we've been purified. Jesus said that they'll know you by your fruit. The the evidence of life change, the evidence of redemption. See, guys, Christianity is not God understands. And so I just keep living the way I want and doing the things I want. And there is no standard for me. No, no. You've been redeemed, and so now we obey, but the order matters. It's crushing if we think I need to obey in order to be accepted, but it's liberating to know I've been accepted and therefore I obey. That that is the difference between the gospel and religion that suffocates. Do this and you might be accepted. I'm accepted, and now out of a place of acceptance, because of purification, I'm obeying the truth. I'm honoring the Lord. I mean, Jesus made it very, very plain for us. One short sentence that just cuts. If you love me, keep my what? Commandments. If you you love me, keep my commandments. We're going to come back to that at the end of our time. But we have redemption. We have requirement. We have reward. Now look at the words that Peter uses for reward for those of us who are in Christ. And think of what God said to the people of Israel. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Wait, wasn't that the words that God used for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai? Yeah. And now because of Christ, where scripture declares there is no longer any Jew or Gentile, This reward is for all who are in Jesus. I mean, look at that. You you are God's special possession. So that, not you might gain more influencers and increase your stats on social media, none of that. No, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God redeemed us so that we might reflect him to this world. And yeah, there's a requirement, and it's beautiful. And we live different because our Savior has saved us. So so here's what it is. God redeems us. He reveals himself to us. So we're redeemed, and now we're knowing our God, and that's what this series is all about. We want to know the heart of our God. Why? So that we might reflect him to this world. And when we live out God's standards, we're, we're a reflection of God to this world. When everyone else around you in your company is cutting corners, is not operating with integrity, and you are, you're being a reflection of God to the people around you. It's how we show this world that He's called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. So I took a lot of time this morning in Exodus 19 because without it, we can't move forward. Like we can't start talking about the big 10 without realizing the reason why God gives us this way of living is not so that we would be saved, but rather because we are saved because of Jesus. Does that make sense? If it don't make sense, I'll stay here, guys. We don't even need to get to commandment one. Makes sense? Yeah? Good. So you were redeemed. There's a requirement. And now we know the reward. We're God's people. So with all of that, let's talk about commandment number one. And the reason why I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, some of you are like, wait, I had brunch plans. Is this like a longer sermon? Uh, we're at the same time, but next week come back because you're going to see how commandment one and two really pair together with each other. But I want you to see now the first commandment. So Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words. Look what he does. He kind of reiterates it. I am the Lord your God, brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, And there's commandment number one. I want us to say it together. You shall have no other gods before me. So what's he doing? He's restating, I'm Redeemer, the God who brought you out. I purchased your freedom. And in light of that, I'm the only God you get. I'm the only one who redeemed you. I redeemed you. I did the work and now there's no other gods before me. I I like something that um, Martin Luther said, 1500s, um, you might be familiar with the the 95 Theses, the Reformation. He says this, we don't break commandments two through 10 without breaking commandment one first. Here's why. The only reason why you and I would lie is because we've set up another God in our life. Maybe it's the God of comfort. If I tell the truth, things are going to get really uncomfortable between me and that person. So I'll lie. The only reason why we might steal is because we serve the God of approval. And we want to have what's not ours so that we might impress people around us. This first commandment is weighty. It matters. It is not just first because it's first. I believe it's first because of importance because of order, because order matters. So here God says the first commandment is me and only me. Jesus said it this way. Again, remember, he fulfills, meaning he perfectly meets it and transposes it for us. And in that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. God does not play nice with other gods. He doesn't need to because he's redeemer. Because he's the God who brought us out. And so he gets to declare, I'm your God. and It's only me. Could you imagine, married people, you'll be able to connect immediately. And if you're not married, you'll be able to connect just as quickly. So stay with me. Married people, could you imagine if your spouse came home one night and says, Oh, honey, I'll use Amy. Amy, you're here. Great. I want to introduce you to someone. I've met someone. Um, They're really special. (laughs) Really special to me. Um, You're special too, obviously. (laughs) We're married, we're in covenant. Um, but this other person is also special, 60, 40, 70, 30. I'm going to spend some more time with her. I'm going to spend most of my time with you. Um, so that's great. You get more of my time, but I just want to let you know, and I think we can kind of work this out together. You know, we'll figure something out so that, you know, all of us just, we'll get along. Cool. Okay. So Amy in her right mind as my spouse, would look at me and give me an ultimatum. It's me or her, right? And we would all look at that and say, she is right and justified to make that declaration. She is right to be jealous in that moment that I would dare give my affection or my devotion to anyone but her. She's my spouse, so, why do we look at God who says it's just me and say, but you're not being fair? When God declares in the Ten Commandments, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He says it. We'll read it next week. I'm jealous. Meaning, I am so in love with you, I've redeemed you, that I don't want you ever giving your devotion or love to anyone or anything else. There's a big theme in, in the Old Testament, especially with the people of Israel, and we cannot think today that we are somehow outside of that theme where the people of Israel continue to chase other gods and serve other gods and give into other practices. And we think this side, well, I don't chase other gods. I mean, I don't have a statue I bow down to. There's no golden image in my home that I'm worshiping. And so we think Because there's no physical image in our life of another God that somehow we are not doing or could do exactly what the people of Israel did. Where God said, you are acting as a prostitute. In fact, there's an entire prophetic book, Hosea, where God wants to demonstrate the ugliness of the people's sin to go after other gods and ask this prophet to marry a prostitute so that he'll know exactly how it feels when she's out sleeping with other people instead of honoring the marriage covenant. Because God is God. He is holy. And he looks at those he's redeemed, and he says, no other gods but me. No other gods. So we have to then ask the question this morning, how would I know if I have another God in my life? Because again, it's not as apparent as it would be if we were going to worship at another temple or honoring another carved image. So how can we know if there is another God in our life? John Calvin, I did a lot of research for this one. I'm reading multiple books, so I'm just gonna keep footnoting all of this. John Calvin says this in his commentary on Exodus, that there are four things that God deserves from our life. Adoration, trust, invocation, and thanksgiving. This is just a scholar, this is just a, a theologian, a pastor, someone who loved Jesus. This isn't scripture itself, but he suggests that there are four things that followers of Christ, those that have been redeemed, owe the Lord. Adoration, trust, invocation, and thanksgiving. So I'd like for us today to turn these into questions. These are reflective questions by which we might discover if there's another God that we are living for. So the first one, adoration, here's the question. Whom do you praise? Beyond a compliment, b- beyond good job, buddy. Like beyond that, who who gets your heart's affection? Who or what are you praising? Are you offering, you wouldn't say it, but you're offering worship to? You, you are so infatuated with. You, you just you love to praise. Or this one, trust. Whom do you count on? Right? When life gets hard, when you go through a challenging moment, what do you breathe out? Well, I'm just grateful that I have my job. Okay, there's a good chance the competing God in your life is actually your job as long as I have this, as long as I know there's income coming in, I'm okay. The whole world could fall apart. But as long as I have this person in my life, I'm trusting that they'll be there tomorrow. Everything's okay. Who do you count on? What do you count on to be there for you, to console you, to comfort you, to tell you you're doing a great job, you're worth it, you have meaning and purpose? It's the next question, invocation. Whom do you call for? Who is it or what is it that you call on to give you and I our sense of worth and satisfaction? So I call on this experience. I'm putting all of my hope into this trip, this vacation, and I'm changing my schedule around to make it happen. And I just, I'm calling on it to give me a sense of rest and refreshing. Maybe it's elevated from just a good thing to God. I told you, you all clapped 25 minutes ago. You were excited then. I gave you warning. Thanksgiving, the last question. Whom do you thank? Let me say it this way. On a really good day, like it's the end of the day, and you're sitting back and you're saying, today was such a good day. What is it that contributed to the goodness of that day? What is it that you're thanking in that moment? Overthinking to where it's become a God. It's competition for God in your life. As we continue through this series, my prayer is that we would be people who first operate from a place of what? Redemption? That's why this isn't crushing. I'm redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And now that I've been redeemed, God is calling me to a standard that is high because I am his chosen people. So as we hear this, we should not be crushed under the weight of guilt because Romans declares there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This isn't about feeling beat up, but I'm telling you, as we explore these commandments, I'm praying that there would be an elevation of a standard in our life as Christ's followers to say there is no other God but him. And so that means that I say no to a whole lot of things because I say yes to Jesus. There are certain things that will not capture my heart's affection. It will never be a God because the God who redeemed me has said no other gods but me. He loves us. The reason why we respond is because he loves us. John writes this We love because he first loved us. The order matters. He first loved us. So, we're going to respond with a song of worship, and I want to explain how it should be different as we sing it. This song is called Jesus, We Love You. It's a great song great song of praise and worship. But in light of the words of Jesus, I believe that this song this morning, for many of us, maybe those who are honest enough, because that's where I'll be, realize this needs to be a song of repentance today. Because how can I sing out, Jesus, we love you, with his words burning in my heart? Let's read them again. If you love me, Keep my commands. How can I sing out, Jesus, oh Jesus, I love you so much. Are you keeping my commands? Is there another God that has your affection? So here's a prayer of repentance that I wrote down that I believe would be fitting for us this morning as we sing. Thank you, Father, for redeeming me. I turn to Jesus for pardon and power. Thank, do you see the order? Thank you for redeeming me. And now that's what repentance is it's a turning. I turn to my Redeemer for pardon, forgiveness. Maybe I've set up the God of comfort, power, approval, success, money. The, the God of dreams is a great one for our society. Just chasing my dream, I'll violate principles of work and Sabbath and anything God understands. What's the God we've set up? I turn to you for pardon, and I turn to you for power, because it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that I may honor these commands you've given me. So we're going to sing out to our God this morning. And as we do, we're going to turn to him in thanksgiving and to be, re- to be healed, to find that repentance. Would you bow your heads with me as I pray, and then our team will lead us in a song. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word We thank you for the order of redemption and requirement and reward. Lord, we thank you that you you brought us out. Through the blood of Jesus, we are saved. We are made new so that we might reflect you to this world. And I pray as we begin this journey together through the Ten Commandments, that we would have soft hearts, that we would be reflective even this week as your faithful spirit will speak to us and say, That is a God in your life. It's moved from a good thing to a supreme thing. Lord, may we in those moments be thankful. Not debate you, not challenge you, but rather be humbled under your beauty and your grace. That you love us so much that you point out the things that we would chase in place of you. Lord, as we offer you our praise now, we sing out, Jesus, we love you. We recognize that you call us to keep your commands. We look to you for the power to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.